Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church podcast. Riverbend Church exists to lead all people to know, love, and live new life in Jesus Christ. We hope that you enjoy this message. My name is Joe, and I'm so honored that you have chosen to worship with us on this Easter Sunday, Sunday morning. I hope you already feel like you matter to us because you do, and, uh, and we prayed for you. We think that God, uh, really what Easter's about, God stepped out of heaven to say, you matter to me, and therefore we're the reflection of the heart of this church is you matter to us. And so as we dive into today's message, we're gonna be in Matthew chapter 26, if you wanna turn there in your Bible. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever watched someone do something as a parent or maybe a married couple, someone in an older generation, and and as you watch them live a certain way or make a certain decision, you swore, I will never do that. Never will I ever live like that. Let me give you an example. You ever see a kid when you were younger, you saw a kid just pitching a throwdown fit in the Walmart toy toy aisle, and you said, my kid will never do that. And then some of you are like, you got me, pastor. Like, yeah, that's my kids. What do I do about it now? You ever uh, uh, saw a parent buying that toy or giving a cookie kind of like a bribe, like a, a bribe, and you go, I will never bribe my kids with a phone or iPad or whatever, and then guess what, big boy? Like, you did it. Or maybe you, you look and you say, my kids will never sleep in the bed with me, ever. And you're like, my bad, like I went back on that. Or, or some of you don't even realize this, and I'm about to bring revelation to your life today. You said, I will never act or dress like my parents, and then you wake up one day and you're like, shoot, man, I said never and here I am. I got dad's shoes on today, here I am. You go, I will never drive a minivan. And then you buy the best vehicle you'll ever own if you got a bunch of kids for throwing it out, right? It's crazy. So we understand these never will I ever statements. And, and, and even though sometimes life changes and circumstances change and you go, yep, you got me. Like I'm going back on my word, never will I ever. As I read the resurrection story of Jesus, all four gospels. So four different people were inspired by the Spirit to write down the story of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four guys wrote an account of the life of Jesus. They talked about his life, his death, and his resurrection. All four of the gospels have one story. So, so they don't all tell the same aspects of the story of Jesus. But all four gospels have this one story. About, uh, it's from the life of a guy named Peter. And there's a never will I ever story inside the gospel story, the story of the resurrection of Jesus and the crucifixion of Jesus. And every time I would get to it, the Lord was speaking to me and he was saying, hey, Joe, you're kind of in this story when I read it. Now, tell you a little bit about Peter. Peter was a roughneck fisherman by trade. He lived out on the waters. And when Jesus uh, invited he and his brother to basically leave the family business of fishing one day and follow him, they decided to do it. They said, all right, Jesus, we'll follow you. Now, Peter was devout. He was bold. He was the one that walked right beside Jesus, basically going, if you're going to get to him, you got to get through me first. That was Peter's personality. And so he was a a pretty roughneck dude. But he wasn't always that guy. He had a never will I ever moment where he failed. And he would go on to become one of the greatest church leaders and preachers that history has ever known. The story of how he became that man is what inspires hope in me, and it's what inspired me to share this story with you today. So I want to pick up in Matthew chapter 26 in your Bible. Now, this is the Thursday 
uh, before Jesus would be arrested. And so if you go you know, chronologically, today we celebrate the Sunday. We know that it was a Sunday morning when Jesus got up out of the grave. You back up one day, you're to Silent Saturday, which is where Jesus' body was in the tomb. And then you back up another day, you get to Friday. We call it Good Friday, the day that Jesus was crucified. You back up one day beyond that, we, you get to what we call Maundy Thursday. It was the last day that Jesus lived on earth with his disciples before he was arrested. And so it was on Maundy Thursday that this story took place, right before Jesus would be arrested. And so Jesus looks at his disciples, he says, guys, tonight I'm gonna be arrested and all of you are gonna run scared. You're gonna be scattered. And look what Peter says. Peter says this. He says, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never, he goes, Jesus, never will I ever desert you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Now, I've been studying the Bible a little while. Every time Jesus said, I tell you the truth, guess what happens? It's the truth. He goes, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, before you hear the voice of a chicken, you're gonna deny three times that you even know me. Now, Peter goes, Lord, absolutely not. No, even if I have to die with you, and here it is again, never will I ever, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples, they go, yes, Jesus, same, we'll die with you, Lord. And Jesus says, Peter, before you hear the voice of the chicken in the morning, you're gonna deny me, not just once or twice, but three times. And so if you fast forward to the wee hours of the morning, this is a few hours later, Jesus has been praying in the garden of Gethsemane. And it's that famous passage where he prays, God, not my will, but yours be done, Father. Whatever, whatever you would have me to do. And then he goes forward with the suffering, but he's arrested. And as he's arrested, Peter's standing right there beside him. As they take Jesus into custody, Peter seems to be holding true to his word. Because what does he do? He pulls out a sword and he tries to slice this guy. I don't know where, but he chops his ear off. And I read that and I go, well, Peter was an awesome fisherman. He was a terrible swordsman though. I mean, he comes out, he chops the guy's ears off, and you can go read this in the Bible. Jesus reaches down, the guy's name was Malchus. He reaches down, picks up the guy's ear, and puts it back on. It's just one of those weird healing stories that you find in Scripture. And so Peter, guess what happens after that? Peter actually does run with the rest of the disciples. They take Jesus to the high priest Caiaphas' home, and it was obviously a big house, had a courtyard in the front yard, and Jesus is kind of there being questioned and falsely accused, and guess where Peter is? He's outside kind of the courtyard, and he's, he's close enough to see Jesus and kind of hear what's going on, but far enough away to where uh, he's not like standing with Jesus, like, hey, I said I'll die for you, but now I'm actually back here. And so he separated himself, and so it's probably maybe three or four, 5 a.m. in the morning at this point, wee hours of the morning. And here's what it says. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over, not, not a, a military ruler, not the Roman governor, no one with power, just a, a, a kind of a meager, humble servant girl comes over and says to Peter, you were one of those with Jesus, a Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And what did Peter do again? He denies it. This time with an oath. I don't even know the man. Now this is crazy because Peter just devoted his life for three years to Jesus. He watched him do miracles. He watched him raise people from the dead. He watched him heal people. And now he's going to this servant girl who has no real authority over him. He's going, I don't even know the guy. What are you talking about? A little bit later, some other bystanders came over to Peter, some random people. They come over and they say, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. 
Now, I can tell that some of you guys are from Georgia like me. Why? Because you got a country accent, like you're South, some of you from South Georgia. And I can also tell some of you moved here from up north. Why? Because you sound like the people you came from. Do you know, do you know what he was saying here? He was saying that you've been hanging around Jesus so long that you talk like him. You sound like Jesus. So you must be one of them because you, you talk like Jesus. And here's what Peter says. Now, he gets upset at this point. A curse on me if I'm lying. This is the version of I'm dropping explicits to tell you that I don't know Jesus. A curse on me. I don't know the man. And guess what happens? Immediately, just like Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Peter, the rooster crowed. Now, Matthew doesn't tell this part of the story. But Luke, in his account, picks up right after that. And look what he says. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So they're close enough to see each other. They both heard the rooster crow. And at that moment, they lock eyes. That's literally their gaze fixed on each other. Do you know the last thing you want to do when you let somebody down? Look them in the eye. You know how hard it is to lift your head up when you've let somebody down? That's the picture here. But, but he didn't even mean to. They locked eyes and suddenly it says, the Lord's words flash through Peter's mind before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. You'll die three times that you even know me. Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. And so this broken promise to Jesus leaves him feeling broken. A lost cause, like there, there's no hope for me. And so he leaves weeping in sorrow. And what brought it all on? Like what was the practical thing that brought all this brokenness on? Well, it was his denial but it was the voice of the chicken. Jesus said, the rooster's gonna crow, and by the time the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. And so, in the life of Peter, I figured out what the voice of the chicken represents, but as I thought about that, and I thought about Easter Sunday morning and all of you sitting here and in my own self, I thought we all have the voice of the chicken in our life. You know what the voice of the chicken represents? Here it is. The voice of the chicken represents the voice of shame in our lives. So before that day, the rooster crow just simply meant, hey, Peter, it's time to wake up. Before the day of alarm clocks and iPhones, you know what they had? The roosters to crow in the morning. That meant it's time to wake up when you hear the rooster crow. Up until that day, the rooster, the voice of the chicken just meant, hey, Peter, time to wake up. But at this point, I think that Peter never heard the rooster crow. He never heard the alarm clock the same. It changed at that point because at this point, the voice of the chicken represented the voice of shame in his life. Because of this never will I ever failure, the voice of the chicken became the voice of shame. And so I thought about it. What is the voice of shame? I want to talk to you about the voice of shame. But before I do, I want to talk to kind of one, a very closely related inner voice. Both shame and guilt are inner voices that we have within ourselves. One is really, really healthy and can lead us to a great direction. The other brings destruction to our identity. So let's talk about the, one of the two familiar voices. The first is this, it's guilt. And you know what guilt says? It's this internal voice in our heads that says, you have done something really bad. You've done something really bad. It's that, it's that gut feeling of going, I blew it. I need to change. It's a healthy voice that leads us to do better. It often leads people to Jesus. In fact, Guilt and feeling bad about something you did can actually draw you to the forgiveness of Christ. Another way to think about guilt is, uh, is what we call conviction. Conviction in that we've done something and internally, even if you're not a Jesus follower yet, I think everybody can feel conviction. It's something God put in us. We feel sorry for what we've done. But guilt leads us 
because of our, you know, our choices, our attitude, our actions, it leads us to make a change in our life. I don't want to feel this. I did something wrong. Now, shame is very closely related, but let me tell you what shame says. It says something different. Shame says this, you are a worthless human being. So guilt says you've done something really rotten. You need to get your life right. You need to pick. Shame will tell you this, that you're really worthless. One is about a feeling that is an, about an action you committed. The other is an identity you take on. So I started thinking about it. How do I know that it was probably the voice of shame that Peter felt and heard when the rooster crowed? Can I tell you the story of the cross through the eyes of Peter? See, Peter was standing outside that courtyard watching Jesus, and they had already begun to slap him and mock him and falsely accuse him, and that was just at the Jewish high priest home, Caiaphas. Caiaphas, then the soldiers, they would take him to the Roman governor's house, Pilate, which again was probably a, a huge kind of castle-like place. And so Peter's standing outside and he's listening and they're falsely accusing Jesus. And Pilate actually says, I can't find any fault, but because of the political pressure of all the Jews screaming crucify him, he finally says, well, fine, I'll have my guys crucify him, but I don't want anything to do with it. He washes his hands of it. And so he sends Jesus first before he would be crucified on the cross. Do you know what happened? They flogged him. And I believe that Peter watched from a distance as Jesus was flogged. Do you know what flog is a nice way of saying? They tied him to a whipping post and stretched him out so that they could take a whip with nine tails on it and they put glass and lead and bone on the end and they would whip him 39 lashes. And the Bible tells us that at this point, he didn't even look like a man anymore after they beat him. His insides are hanging out. And I know that's gruesome. But Jesus sat there and took that pain and Peter watched. And you know what he was thinking? I'm a failure. I'm supposed to be there standing with my savior. I told him I would die for you. And now I'm sitting back here like a coward watching from a distance. And so they whipped Jesus and they mocked Jesus. And when there was almost no energy left in his body, they sat him down and they put a purple robe on his body and they put a crown of thorns on his head. And then the soldiers took times hitting him in the head with a club and most likely it drove the spikes of those thorns into his skull. And then they ripped that off and they put a cross beam on his back. And Peter, Peter's watching from a distance again. They put a cross beam and they tied it around his arms with a rope most likely. And they made him carry it. It was about a mile's journey from where they would whip you and where they would sentence you. You had to crawl up a hill basically to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And most likely they would already have the upright post mounted in the ground on top of the hill because it was normal to crucify people by the Romans. They would make Jesus carry this. Literally his bowels hanging out, his blood, he's lost so much blood. And so as he gets to the heel, he stumbles and falls. He can't carry it. His body collapses. And so they grab this guy in the audience, in the crowd watching, named Simon of Syrian. And they say, Simon, you help him carry his cross. I wonder whenever Simon went, if Peter thought, Lord, that should be me. I should be there with you. And he's watching from a distance. And, and Simon helps him get up to the top of the hill. And then when they get to the top of the hill, they lay Jesus down and they drive nails through his wrist into that cross beam. And then they lift him up onto the upright and they affix it there and then they nail his feet in. And then Simon Peter, he's standing back watching. He's watching all this and the voice of shame, the voice of the chicken just speaking over him said, Peter, you're worthless. You let your savior down. And as he's watching, Jesus have to lift up on the cross on his, on his hands and on his feet in order to get a breath in because it literally suffocates you to be in that position. And so as he's gasping for breath and there's seven different things, Jesus is, is crying out to his people that are listening with, around him. And so he's crying out and eventually he bleeds out or either dies from congestive heart failure. 
And Peter watched it for hours. When I put myself in his shoes, I go, I would feel like suicidal. Just take me out now, Lord. I didn't do anything to stop what I just witnessed. And I never thought about this until this year. I've never, this has never crossed my mind. Do you know what Peter had to wake up to on Saturday morning? The rooster crow. The voice of a chicken. You know what Peter had to wake up to on Sunday morning? The voice of a chicken. I think every time he heard the rooster crow, it probably brought back all that shame. I don't know how low he got, but I can almost assure you that he was depressed and suicidal at this point and going, God, just take me out now. I failed you and I am a failure. As I thought about this, can I get in your story for a minute? Because most of our stories don't go like this. I denied Jesus when he was going to the cross. None of us were there. So we don't say, I denied Jesus. Do you know what the voice of the chicken is in our lives though? It's the voice of shame because of the lies you told in the past and they still haunt you. The things you covered up. The kids that because of the lifestyle you were in that you lost. The abortion that you had. The marriage that, that you destroyed or that something came in and destroyed. The integrity you sacrificed. And the voice of shame now speaks over you every day. It's like the voice when the alarm clock goes off in the morning. You don't say it out loud, but in the back of your mind, there's this voice of a chicken saying, you are worthless. It doesn't matter what you do today. You're never going to overcome what you've already done in your past. So as I studied this encounter, the Lord showed me a couple of things about shame. The truth about shame, I call it. Here's the first thing. Do you know how the voice of shame enters our lives? It always comes through broken promises. And let me explain that. You broke a promise to God, and now you're on the run from God because you feel like he could never take me back. So many times shame will say, you broke a promise to God. Remember when you got baptized? Or remember when you said, Lord, I'm all in now, and then life hit, and then you messed up, and you blew it, and you got out of church, and you got away from Jesus? The voice of shame will tell you, you can never come back because you're too broken. You lost your chance. But also, do you know where else the voice of shame comes through broken promises? Promises that you broke to yourself. And it's not in big catastrophic things. You know where the voice of shame slips in? Small things. Such as, you know what, this year I'm gonna take care of my health. I'm gonna eat better. And then when you fail, the voice of shame kind of comes over you and says, oh, you're worthless, you can't do it. Everybody else has got it under control, but you're the one. That's the voice of the enemy and the voice of shame. That's the voice of the chicken. Other people, maybe they let you down. And so you just decide to live in that idea. It's like, even though it was their fault and they hurt you, you carry the shame of it. You carry the weight of it. It's crazy how that is implicitly uh, like moved over into your life. Somebody else lied to you and yet you carry the burden for the divorce. Someone else, you carry the burden for the loss or the bankruptcy. Here's another truth about shame. The root of all shame, and, and this is interesting, because I wanna say this, whether you follow Jesus or whether you're not there yet, whether you go, hey man, I like this church, I like what I'm feeling and seeing, but I don't know if I'm there yet, that's okay. Here's what I wanna say though, the root of all our shame, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, is actually denying Jesus in three ways. To deny his lordship, to deny his forgiveness, or deny his redemption. And so if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, the root of shame starts for everybody here. 
Denying Jesus' lordship, it's where we put our happiness on the throne of our hearts. It's where we put our kids on the throne of our hearts. It's where we put our past failures on the throne. That's what rules us. And so instead of Jesus being Lord, we put something else. It could be our sexual desires, our sexual identity. I put that on the throne of my heart. That's the biggest thing about me. It's not that we don't acknowledge God, but anytime we deny that he is Lord in our life, he is the boss, I'm gonna live by your word, I'm gonna live out your identity in Christ. The problem is we deny Jesus and we let shame begin to speak over us. The second piece is I know people that have said, okay, Jesus, I believe that you are Lord. I believe this story about the cross and about the resurrection, and I'm okay with that. But we don't believe that we can be forgiven because we feel like my sin is too great and there's no hope for me. So in essence, we deny that there is forgiveness. We deny Jesus' forgiveness. Jesus, I'm not denying that you should be boss in my life. I'm just saying I don't know if you can forgive me because of what I've done. And then the last one, I know so many believers that have sat in church for years and they'd say, Jesus, you were Lord, thank you for forgiving me. But then they live broken lives. They never like, we talked about baptism, you know, dead to the old man, arise to the new man, the new life. We never start living new life because we deny that Jesus can redeem any story. Jesus can redeem your past. Jesus can redeem your broken marriage. Jesus can redeem your marriage right now that's almost on the rocks. Jesus can redeem your relationship with your kids. Jesus can redeem you out of addiction. Jesus can redeem you out of your past failures. But we don't believe it. We deny that Jesus is Lord. So I thought about it. What does the voice of shame actually sound like in our life? Let me give you a few truths about the voice of shame. Here's the first one. Did you know that it speaks in first person in your head? And what I mean by that is the voice of shame doesn't come and say, hey, you are not worthy. Do you know what the voice of shame sounds like inside our head? I am not worthy. I am broken. I am a failure. Do you know why we believe it? Because it sounds like our voice often. I think if Satan came and stood before you, and said, you know what, you're a worthless human being. I Satan and say this, we'd go, get behind me. Are you kidding me? But the lie of the enemy and how deceptive he is, he comes in sometimes and, and plants thoughts and, 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 and realities around you to where you feel like it's your voice and you're saying, I'm not worthy. That's actually the first thing that, that shame will say is I'm not worthy. I've learned this as a pastor over the years. If, if you've had abuse, whether physical, sexual, prolonged verbal abuse in your life, you don't even realize it, but there's a voice of shame that comes from that that says, you're not worthy. I, here's how you hear it in your head. I'm not worthy. Some of you guys in the room and some, some of you women in the room, you know this voice too. There was a guy or a woman in your past and you could never be good enough for them, a parent, a coach, and as much as you tried, you felt like I can never be good enough. I can never measure up there's a great chance that there's a voice of shame still speaking and you're still not worthy. And in your head, you hear it like this, I'm still not worthy. So every relationship with your spouse, your boss, your coworkers, your friends, it is motivated by insecurity instead of love because you are constantly judging yourself by an impossible standard. Here's another thing that the voice of shame will say in your head. Here's what it sounds like. I'm a failure. You stop dreaming, you stop hoping, why? Because you feel like there's no use in it. People grow cynical at this point because we stop dreaming and hoping that God can bring redemption to our story. 
See, here's the truth. We have to learn to fail and get back up as believers. So many times we're on cloud nine with God and then we fall and we get completely away from God because we feel like we can't be resilient. We feel like God don't want us and God's people don't want us anymore. We have to learn to fail. We have to teach our kids to fail and get back up. Resilience may be the most undertaught virtue and character essence in life right now. You're gonna fail, you're gonna fall, get back up. You have a heavenly father, no matter what your earthly dad thought of you, no matter what your earthly mentor or whoever thought of you and said to you, Jesus, your heavenly father and Jesus Christ says, you have somebody that loves you just as you are, get back up. Here's another thing shame will say, I need to justify to myself everyone, uh, to everyone always, and here's what I mean. Shame makes you think that things are a big deal that are not a really big deal. Let me give you a small example. You could have a rough morning with the kids or a rough morning, you're trying to get to work, not because you're lazy or just uh, negligent, but because you had a hard morning, you get wherever you're going a few minutes late, and then you feel like you have to justify yourself to everybody constantly, justify, justify, justify. There is a great chance that there is a voice of shame deep in your heart and you didn't even realize it. Insecurity takes over. When you do, you know, and I go back to this one because I know we just came through the first of the year. You go, I'm gonna take care of myself. I'm not gonna overeat. I'm gonna try to get some exercise. And what happens is when we fail, shame will make you feel like you've gotta justify yourself to everybody. You are loved as you are, people. As God's child, you are loved as you are. I've seen this so many times. Somebody's kids are struggling and going through a hard season and it seems like everybody else's are doing just fine. And so you feel like you've got to justify your kids to everybody. Instead of just saying, we live in a broken, fallen world. We live in a world that's messed up and all of our kids actually struggle, by the way, whether you see it or not. All of our marriages are difficult, by the way, whether you see it or not. But the enemy will come and say, no, 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 it's just you. And you need to justify yourself to everybody always. And eventually you'll land at this place where you go, I can never be happy because, and then you justify I can never have joy again because, because let me tell you about my past. Here's where shame will lead you. This is kind of progressive or digressive. It'll tell you this. I can't let anyone know the real me. I think Peter felt this a lot. I think Peter wished that his story wasn't in scripture. I mean, you do realize God could have left it out. He could have told through the Holy Spirit, hey, I know that happened, but let's leave that one out. We can't write everything that happened in the life of Jesus, so let's just leave that one out. This is the greatest lie of shame. I can't let anyone know the real me. Do you know why we feel this way? Because you feel like if anyone ever knew the real me, then nobody would be able to love me. You know the level that this goes to? It's even that spouse that you have, the person that's supposed to be your best friend, the person you said I do to. We even hold back because of shame from that person. And in return, we never find the deepest love we could and we also don't find true healing and forgiveness. We think if anyone ever knew me, then they couldn't love me. Do you know where shame ends? One of the last things it'll say to you in your head is, I'm hopeless. This is where shame wants to lead you. Hopeless, lost cause. And so we go through life numb. And so you're going, hang on, Joe, like, let's take a time out. You're telling me that you read the voice of the chicken in Peter's life. 
and you read the story about Jesus, what you read us, and you got all of that out of reading the story. My answer is yes and no. Yes, I read Peter's story, but do you know why I can tell you with authority about the voice of shame? Because this guy knows the voice of shame. It's the voice of shame that started when I was 16 or 17 years, 17 years old, and the voice of shame came and said, you got your wife pregnant when you were 17 years old, and therefore you denied your faith, and you failed at purity in your life, even though you already knew God had a call on your life. The voice of shame will come and say, you've disqualified from your calling because of that. The voice of shame will come and say, you wrestled with pornography as a young man and you still have to stay in the battle plan daily because you want to be a pure man of God. And the voice of shame will come and say, hey, because of your past, big boy, what right do you have to speak to anybody else? The voice of shame will come and say, you can't be a good father because you started too young. And I look at a lot of you dads that were a little older than me when I started and you're such great dads. And the voice of shame comes over my life and says, you'll never be good enough. You already raised your kids and you failed at half of it. You want to talk about the voice of shame? I know it. The voice of shame tells me often, you can't be a pastor. You didn't even go to college, much less go to official seminary. How could you ever be a pastor? So when I tell you that I know the voice of shame, it's not just because I read about the story of Peter. It's because you got a guy standing up here who says, I know it well. I've had the voice of the chicken in my life for years. I just didn't know how to say it until the Lord showed me. You have a guy standing before you who has had to learn to listen to the voice of the risen Savior. When I got up this morning, shame wanted to tell me, listen, there's no reason you should go and share who's going to listen. Sometimes I even hear this. Nobody's going to show up. I mean, they don't like you anyway. And that may be true, but I'm glad you showed up anyway. <laughs> but I've heard the voice of shame for so long in my life. I have had to learn to listen to my risen Savior say this, Joe, you are mine. I know you have history. I know you have a past. I know you have internal wrestlings that you would rather not put out there for everybody, but there it is. You are mine. I have redeemed you. I have forgiven you. I will help you get back up. I have restored you. This is the, what I have to learn to let my Father say over me. I have still called you. I'm not just calling you in spite of your past. I'm calling you through your past. I will use you for my glory and not yours anyway. And by the miracle of God, I've had a bride that has stayed with me who literally finished raising me and who has stayed with me now for 25 years this year. It's unbelievable. Thank you, Jesus. I love you. I know the voice of the chicken in my life. I've identified them. So can I flip the script on you? What's the voice of the chicken in your life? What does the enemy use? So I put it in your notes, a blank that's there. The voice of the chicken is, and you may not want to write it in there, but here's the thing. If this is a wrestling match for you, it could be the name of a person from your childhood that flashes in your mind in that blank right there. It could be a situation from a failed marriage, a situation from parenting, a time where you sacrificed your integrity. And, it, and it's like it flashes before your eyes, a time where you held something over somebody that you shouldn't hold anymore. And it's flashing before your eyes, and it's a voice of shame. Can I give you the good news? I said that Jesus cried out some things from the cross. You know what the last thing he said was? As he was hanging there, literally his body is almost devoid of blood. He's literally running out of blood. And as he's there, in his last breath, literally, he, he lifted up one more time, and he, he took a breath, and he said this word, to tell us die. And I think everybody probably turned. And as he did, it says he gave up his spirit at that point. He died. Do you know what tetelestai means? 
in our language, it is finished. And so when I hear it, here's what I hear the Father say over me. The price has been paid for you. To tell us die, it is finished. Redemption is complete. New life is available. Your debt has been paid in full. Do you know what else he says to me? When I hear to tell us die on the cross, I hear Jesus saying, shame doesn't get the last word in your life. Look what happens here. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, do you know what happens as the new day is dawning? The rooster crows. The voice of a chicken shows up again. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. I've always found this interesting. Big bad Peter, who was so bold, Jesus, I'll die for you. I don't know if he was faithless or scared, scared with the chickens, but you know who got up and went out to the tomb first? It was the women. Thank you, women of God, who have continued continue to, even when the men have failed the church over the years, there have been women of God who have held down the fort. Thank you. But these women get up early and they go out to visit the tomb. By golly, we're not staying put. They go out and suddenly there was a great earthquake. And I saw this in the story. The people who step out on faith first are often the ones that get to see the Jesus earthquake. And so the earthquake comes. And what was the earthquake? It was an angel coming down from heaven. He said he's rolled the stone aside and sat on it. They got to see this. His face shone like lightning and his clothing white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel of the Lord spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he isn't here. He's risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come and see where his body was laying. So get this. Jesus had already risen from the tomb, but the angel comes down and moves this big stone aside so that the ladies and the disciples later could see in. And so the angel says this, ladies, I want you to go quickly and tell his disciples. Now, Matthew doesn't include this, but the book of John does. If you go over to the book of John, it says, tell the disciples and Peter. When I read that, the Lord arrested my heart. Tell the disciples, including Peter. Why would Jesus send an angel to say, be sure to tell Peter? Because he'd been hearing that rooster crow now for two mornings. I don't know how close he was or how deep he was in depression at that point. But I can tell you it probably wasn't good. He says, go quickly and tell Peter he's risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you and you're gonna see him there. And when I read that, do you, do you know what I heard? Again, I, I hear weird things when I read the Bible. It was like that time in my life where I felt hopeless, like a lost cause. And it was almost like I heard the voice of Jesus saying, tell, tell Joe I'm still looking forward to meeting with him. Go tell Joe I can't wait to see him. So you can put your name in this blank. Tell Courtney I'm looking for her. At the deepest moment of your shame, where you feel like, Joe, I'm at rock bottom. I failed again. I'm back into the depth of my brokenness again. You can take this message right here to heart where he says, hey, Bo, tell Bo I'm looking for him. See, you're sitting in a church, if you're not normally in church, you're sitting in a church where you need to come. The more broken you are, you actually are more welcomed into the church. But look around and it's like, hey, tell Mark, tell Mark I'm looking for him. There was a point where God called on your heart, Mark, and said, hey, tell Mark I'm looking for him. And there was a meeting that was there. And I go around the room and you can put your blank, tell Stanford I'm looking for him. That's the Jesus that we serve. When we feel so far from God and you feel like surely God wouldn't want anything to do with me, I read this story and I go, that was me. Jesus said, tell Joe I'm still looking forward to see him.
one of the last encounters Jesus has on earth. So, so he rises from the dead. He lives on earth about 40 days before he ascends. At one point, 500 people saw him at one time alive. So he met with a large group and then he met with his disciples. Then at this point, he'd already met in a group with his disciples two other times. This is the third time he's hung out just with the disciples alone. And so the last encounter that he has on this earth or one of them was with guess who? Peter. Now, Peter had already been around Jesus two different times in the group. But do you know what he does? He does the same thing I tend to do when I know I've let somebody down, hide in the background, swerve. But Jesus is on the lake shore this time, and he's cooking some fish over the campfire. And he kind of hollers out to the guys. Now, they've gone back to fishing. And you know why Peter had gone back to fishing, I think? Because Shane said, hey, your ministry days are over. I mean, Jesus is dead. You failed him. You let him kill him. All that three years you just wasted, you might as well go back to fishing because you're done as a pastor and a church planner. And so here's what Jesus says. All the other guys, I can see them kind of back out walking the lake or something. Peter and Jesus are kind of sitting on a log by the fire. After breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And, and, and this is just my holy imagination. I think a tear was already coming in, in Peter's eye. This is the first time they've talked. And I think Peter's looking at the ground and he says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus doesn't say, well, you blew it. He doesn't say, well, you need to make things right. You know what he says? Feed my lambs. That's his way of saying, get back to your calling. So Jesus repeats the question. I think Peter's still looking down. He goes, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, I think still looking at the ground. You, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep, Peter. Go pastor my church. Get back to your calling. Now, you remember how many times Peter denied Jesus, right? What you're about to see here is a threefold restoration. Jesus said again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, this is holy imagination because the Bible doesn't say this. I think Peter probably is broken down, sobbing through his tears at this point. And here's what he says. This is the first honest encounter that Peter has with Jesus in a long time. He says, not Lord, I'll die for you. Lord, I'll do anything for you. This time he says, Lord, you know everything. You know what he was saying? You already know that I said I'd die for you and I didn't. You already said that, you, you already know that I made a promise to you that I didn't keep. You already know that, God, you know how much I love you. That's what, God, you know everything. Jesus, you know everything and you know that I love you. You know how much I love you. And I think Peter is sobbing at this point going, Jesus, you know that I failed you. You know that I wish I loved you more. You know I wish I hadn't failed, but Lord, the truth is I did. And yes, I do love you, but my love is not as perfect as I wish it was. And here's what Jesus says. Then get up and go feed my sheep. It's time. It was in honest encounter. It wasn't just an emotionally charged moment. Jesus said, feed my lamb. So restoration didn't require Peter to work his way back to goodness. He looked at him, he said, get back up and get back to your calling. And that he would do. In part, we're the church today because of what Peter did in the first century with the church. He would go on to actually die, become a martyr for his faith 
devoted to his Savior and to the church of Jesus. And so I thought, I ask a question of myself. How does the voice of shame transform into the sound of redemption? Because you realize every day that Peter lived the rest of his life, he had to wake up to what? The voice of a chicken. The rest of his life, I don't think he ever heard the rooster crow the same ever again. Every morning he would wake up and hear the voice of chicken. How did it transform from the voice of shame into the sound of redemption? Well, here it is. The voice of shame becomes the sound of redemption in our lives through an honest encounter with the risen Savior, Jesus. Now, let me say this. This is why you can come to church, you can read your Bible, you can even pray, and yet walk out unchanged. It's because we don't have honest encounters with the Lord. We don't have the kind of encounters that says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I blew it. You knew I messed up and here it is. You know I do love you and you knew I do wanna live as a man of God or a woman of God, but Lord, I have blown it. And what we hear shame say is you are worthless, but then Jesus transforms that voice of the chicken, that shame voice into a redemption voice. It's his voice in our head, but it comes through an honest encounter of listening to him and listening to him say, you are not worthless, you are priceless. See, shame will say you're worthless, but you know what Jesus, your savior says? You are priceless. Let me show you this. Paul would write to the church a little later. He said this, don't you realize your body is the temple of the spirit? God values you so much that he wants to live within your soul. The Bible says the moment you surrender to him and say, Jesus, I'll follow you. Jesus, I submit to you. He puts his spirit inside of you. So he says, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself. And here it is. God bought you with a high price. You know how much something is worth? It depends on how much something somebody will pay for it. You know how much Jesus paid for you? You know that story I just told you through Peter's eyes where his bowels were ripped out and his muscles were exposed and he lifted himself gasping for breath on the cross and yet he could have called legions of angels to his rescue, but he decided not to. Why? Because the price needed to be paid for you and for me. You were bought at a high price. You are a child of the king that has been bought with a high price. You've got to learn to listen to the voice of your savior over the voice of your shame. Hope is rising because Jesus rose from the grave, but it all comes down to this. Will I have an honest encounter today with the Lord Jesus? You have had an encounter with God. We sense his presence here. You can feel him stirring in our souls, but the deal is, have you had an honest encounter? Have you let God have your shame? Have you let God know that you're hurt? And have you told the Lord your failure and just said, God, I wanna have an honest encounter with you? For some of you, maybe you've known about religion and about the story of Easter for all your life and you've never actually surrendered to it. And so right now you're still hearing another voice, but maybe you feel the voice of the Savior drawing you in saying, hey, it's time to listen to my voice, not the voice of shame over your life. So here's what I wanna invite you to do. In just a moment, the band's gonna come out and they're gonna sing. They're gonna, they're gonna lead us in a song that I think will minister to your heart. But I wanna ask you, have you ever truly let Jesus take your shame? He already paid the price for it. You gotta decide if you wanna let him take it or not. Maybe for you, that's a first honest encounter of saying, Jesus, I'm ready to, to believe in you and surrender to you. Or maybe as a child of God, you've still just been fighting the voice of shame. Until you have an honest encounter with the Lord, you will walk out of here carrying that. So my invitation today, we turn these steps into a prayer place. 
I'll be hanging out down here. And so if you say, Joe, I'm surrendering my life to Jesus today or need somebody to pray for me, listen, we can pray that God's voice will drown the voice of shame in your life. And it may be the start of you walking out as a child of God. Maybe today you go, Joe, I saw Mark get baptized. We still got water here and we got it warm. And so we're ready for you. If you go, Joe, I need to make my faith public today. We actually brought some extra clothes and towels for you. So maybe that's you where you go, Joe, I can't wait anymore. Today is the day. I don't know how you need to respond, but it is time to silence the voice of shame in your life once and for all to say, Jesus, I'm ready to hear your voice. Will you bow with me? And so today, if you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, but you feel like a burning in your heart, and you're like, Joe, I'm ready to do that. Just speak this out to the Lord. Say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you today. I surrender my shame to you today. I'm asking you to save me and forgive me. And then just tell him, God, thank you for accepting me. Thank you for loving me enough to die for me. And thank you that you got up out of the grave to give me new life. Jesus, my life is yours. And if you just prayed that today, listen, he receives you, he accepts you, and you need to let somebody know as soon as you feel the boldness to do that, let somebody know. Maybe you need to come and just get on your knees before the Lord or sit where you are. Let the words of these songs, this song today move you. So God, I'm asking you, let there be boldness in the house to respond. May the voice of shame be silenced in your people's life today. In Jesus' name, will you stand with me? Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church Podcast. To learn more about who we are as a church and how to connect, you can head over to our website, riverbendchurch.life.